Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised, both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as the happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. Now I'm reading from Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 56. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this may be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who's, who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but he's lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Em. 
Great to be with you. My name is Rowan. I am the assistant minister here at the Garrison Church. A real delight to share with you from this song, Mary's song, in Luke 1. But we'll also make reflections upon another song, Psalm 113. I was greatly helped by Justin with this sermon as well. Some weeks, as you try and piece together, chatting it with through with someone or um, sharing the outline. So I'm very thankful to him this week for that help as well. But as Em mentioned, this season of Advent, we celebrate Christ's first coming, the incarnation, in a way that makes us long for and look forward to Christ's second coming when he returns, as the Advent prayer says, in glorious majesty. As it were, we sit between these two poles, and Advent is a time to remember that and let that sink in for us. And today we do it through a song, Mary's song, known as the Magnificat, the Latin for to magnify. And it's from the first line in Mary's song, my soul glorifies, or in other translations, magnifies, the Lord, my soul rejoices in the God, my Saviour. And they're beautiful verses. Um, they're the first verses as well of Tell Out My Soul, which I didn't realise, actually, but that hymn is based on this song. I do encourage you to read it, which was written as a poem before it was a hymn. Fun fact, or fun for some. Um, but Mary's song starts with, My soul glorifies, magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in my Saviour. The occasion was the knowledge of what was in her womb. The Messiah of the universe, the hope of Israel, blessing to the nations, hope for the poor and downtrodden, the end of suffering, the end of exile, all themes that we sing each year in Christmas carols. She was, in other words, pregnant, literally, with hope. And we see in her song that her pregnancy leads to praise. My soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. That is, the very depths of her being, her soul, her spirit, rejoices in light of the news of the coming Saviour. And it shows forth in a deep desire to enlarge and magnify or make big the Lord. And so the question for us today as we look at this, we have three short points, is how can we find ourselves magnifying God in the same way Mary does? How can we find ourselves magnifying God in the same way Mary does? And I've got three headings you'll see there. We firstly find ourselves in God not in self, verses 46 to 49, we find ourselves at the bottom, not at the top, 50 to 53, and we find ourselves in God's story, verses 54 to 56. So we firstly, we find ourselves in God, if we're going to magnify God the way that Mary does. Not in self. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, and then these beautiful verses, for he has been mindful of my humble state, the humble state of his servant, and from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. It's this beautiful verse where it says, God has been 
mindful of her. She has found herself in God and her soul, in response, magnifies the Lord. And the word glorify here, or magnify, is to make something big, to make something the object of our attention, our devotion, our love. A few years ago, in 2015, New York Times columnist David Brooks wrote a book called The Road to Character. I think I've mentioned it before uh, one Sunday. And it's a fantastic book which looks at the shift in culture over the last 50 years or so that he has observed. And he notes that there is a, a cultural shift that has substituted pride for humility. Substituted pride for humility. He states that, and this is a quote, our culture has shifted from a culture of self-effacement that says nobody is better than me, but I'm no better than anyone else, to a culture of self-promotion that says, recognize my accomplishments, I'm pretty special. He believes that we have shifted from what he calls a little me culture to a big me culture. And then he goes on in his book to explain that and defend that somewhat more. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because as you hear it, you know, we hesitate to, to agree with how starkly he frames it up. But it is interesting, as you think about it, is that the way in which our culture works, our education works, the way in which social media works, is all about projecting ourself onto the world. Now, it seems, is a big time for memoirs in our culture, whether it's books, Oprah interviews, or broadcasting on Instagram or TikTok, broadcasting the big me doesn't seem so unbelievable. And it's not just kind of pride expressed through kind of flamboyant airtime, but it also can be expressed at times through self-pitying and disappointment because we think we deserve more. And we've been told that we deserve more, and when life pans out a little differently, that can be devastating for us, is what David Brooks uh, argues. And there's all kinds of Christian versions of these as well. Our life, it seems, our culture, is geared towards projecting ourselves, magnifying self. And what we see here is a stark contrast. Mary has found herself in God. Her soul, her very being, seeks to magnify him. And these verses tell us what about God that she longs to magnify. In verse 48... He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. It was the grace of God that moved Mary to magnify God. In our first reading, Psalm 113, which is very much used within Mary's own words here, it's anticipated almost, and as you read it, you'll see the overlap of the language. But in Psalm 113, it speaks about God on high, it's pray, it praises God's transcendence, his otherness, his supremacy of his being, the supremacy of his goodness and his sovereignty. It says, this God on high is our God. And as we contemplate the nature of our God, we get a sense of his transcendence. And sometimes 
we lose that, don't we? But here's how one theologian commenting on Psalm 113 describes our God who is most high. He says, the Lord God is most high. The Lord is most living. The Lord has life in himself without beginning. And we're speaking about magnifying self. Uh, I think the little routine that these cars have around, uh, there may be some big me in there, I think. Uh, but anyway, so this is what, let's lift our eyes. <laughs> the Lord God is most high, most living. The Lord has life in himself without beginning and without end. The Lord God is most high, he's most wise. The Lord is infinite ocean of wisdom, untaught and untrained. The Lord is God most high, most loving. The Lord loves with an everlasting love that has no basis in the creature, no beginning and no end. The earth is full of his steadfast love. He's most just. In him there is no injustice at all. The Lord loves justice and exercises justice by revealing his most holy will, by rewarding the righteous and punishing the wicked. He's most powerful. The Lord's agency depends on no external source of strength and knows no limit. It accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his most holy will. The Lord God is most high, most blessed. The Lord reposes and rests supremely in himself and communicates a share in his supreme beatitude to those who are the objects of his mercy. This high God, the psalmist tells us, is our God, our supreme good, our supreme sweetness, our supreme reason for praise. This is our God. Our God is on high. And then the psalm goes on to say how our high God is also a humble God. He stoops down to look upon the heavens and the earth. He looks upon the lowly in order to lift them up. And Mary got the wonder of this in her song. The Lord on high, the transcendent God, was mindful of her, a nobody girl from a nowhere town. And yet God chose her to carry in her womb the hopes of the nation and the redemption of the world. So much so that it says in verse 48, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. We come alive when we have a sense of both the bigness of God and the reality that he is mindful of us. If we trust God, if we have repented of our sins, if we, if we know the grace of God extended to us in the Lord Jesus, our souls will magnify God, that he is mindful of us, that our high God not only stoops down and looks from the heavens, but stoops down, down, down and assumes a human nature in order to save us. That's why Mary could magnify God and we too can also. But secondly, how do we magnify God as Mary does? Well, we find ourselves in at the bottom and not the top, verses 50 through to 53. Mary recalls what kind of God God is, and it's stark to see in verses 50, those who fear him, the humble, the hungry, we see that God is this transcendent God. He's a champion of 
the lost and the broken. And in Luke's gospel, this gospel where we've paused for a song, if we go on, what we see is we see Jesus in almost as a revolutionary way championing the lost and the broken. The Messiah who, who challenges the status quo and the powers of be, but also revolutionises hearts. See, the reason that we should want to magnify God as Mary did and to find ourselves at the bottom is because it seems that in God's economy, the humble and the lowly, those at the bottom, are always lifted up. And in particular, it's not just everyone at the bottom, but those who fear God. And in this section of the passage, Mary again is alluding to passages that came before. Another song in the Old Testament, Hannah's song. Hannah was the mother of the prophet Samuel. And when she was unable to have child, she pleaded with God and God heard her cry. And then she responds in a similar fashion to Mary in song. And she says, the God of Israel is the God who humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honour. And Psalm 113 almost uses these verses verbatim. This is characteristic of the way our God works, both in the Old Testament and we see particularly in the ministry of Jesus. But again, as we, we pause and reflect, that, that is so countercultural to the way in which our world largely works. We tend to have a striving upward mentality to, to, to succeed, a desire to see ourselves as winners. David Brooks opens this same book on character, and he differentiates uh, a distinction between resume and eulogy virtues. He utilises a dichotomy of a rabbi teacher who says that there are two, two versions of, of Adam, as it were. There's Adam 1 and Adam 2. Adam 1 is a resume virtue guy. He has career orientation, ambitious side of his nature, whereas Adam 2 is the person who wants to embody certain moral qualities. Brooks summarises, while Adam 1 wants to conquer the world, Adam 2 wants to obey the calling to serve the world. So he's trying to draw a distinction between what drives us, what are the ends to which we're labouring in this world. And he's saying that our world can form us in such a way that we're driven by resume virtues rather than the virtues of what we would want said in our eulogy. It was striking, two weeks ago we had Myra's funeral and the eulogy was not so much detailing the many things that she had accomplished, but the kind of person she was, someone who loved justice, who cared for others, who was hospitable, who was faithful, who demonstrated fortitude. David Brooks, in his book, is trying to bring out a desire for us to pursue, as it were, the Adam II eulogy virtues. And in a sense, that taps into what we see in this song, where we see that the lowly and the humble are celebrated, for they, if they fear God, will be lifted up. 
It is the person who has nothing to lose, as you read the Gospels, who is more likely to humble themselves before God. We see that in the Gospel. Only those who know their need come to Jesus. Only those at the bottom get lifted up. Only the leper is cleansed and only the blind receive their sight. Only the sick need a doctor. Our world celebrates Adam 1. It's geared towards forming us towards certain ends to celebrate. But as we see here in a psalmist, in Hannah's song and in Mary's song, they sing to a different tune, the tune of the kingdom. In verse 50 it says, His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. And I think these words can be both a challenge and a comfort to us. The challenge is to find ourselves at the bottom to not merely pursue, as it were, the resume virtues. And I say merely because absolutely I understand that motivations for the pursuit of success and advancement and good work can be absolutely virtuous and God-honouring, but I think the challenge for us is to think what ends are we driving our lives toward? Who are we trying to magnify, to make God big or us big? And we do work to heed the words of The Apostle Peter, he says, All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. So there is a challenge for us here. But I think in equal measure, and perhaps maybe more strongly felt by many of us, and for myself, I suspect that this is a comfort for you as well. Perhaps you feel like you are a nobody from nowhere, or perhaps you're tired of striving. Perhaps you feel like you have constant imposter's syndrome. You feel at the bottom, a sham trying to display to the world that you're actually okay and successful. You're at the bottom. But the good news is that God shows grace to the humble that he is mindful of you. And Peter's words are a word of comfort to us as well. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Well, finally, how can we magnify God like Mary does where we find ourselves in God's story and not in any other story? In verses 54 to 56, it sums up the story of Israel, the story of the Bible, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary is demonstrating her knowledge of the Old Testament to recognition that she is part of participating in or being grafted into a larger story. And we all live in a story. We all place ourselves in some kind of narrative and and determine and derive meaning from a narrative. Christian ethicist Stanley Hauerwas said the following of our culture, that we place ourselves in a weak story, or rather, 
that there is a no story, we just make it up. He says that of Western culture, it has no story except the story you choose when you had no story. Since there isn't one story, you choose your story, and that's the only story you have, and that's how most Australians live their lives. But he goes on to say, the church does not believe that you should not have no story except the story you chose when you had no story. Rather, the church believes that we are creatures of a good God who has storied us through engrafting us to the people of Israel through faith in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. Christians do not believe that we get to choose our story, but rather we discover that God has called us to participate in a story that is not of our own making. And Mary shares this story in her song. It's the ancient story of Israel. We've been looking at God's mega story all this year, the story of how Israel culminates in the coming of the Messiah. We see there, with the coming of the Messiah, that God will win victory over the enemies and the bullies, the power brokers and the forces of evil, which people like Mary and Elizabeth in the story we read today knew all too well. But we also see that Mary and Elizabeth, like so many Jews of their time, were soaked in the scriptures. They searched the scriptures, the Psalms and the prophetic writings, as they spoke of mercy and hope and fulfilment and reversal and victory and God coming to rescue at last. So much so, as one New Testament writer says, all of that is poured into this song like a rich foaming drink that comes bubbling over the edge and spills out all around. And that's what we find in this song and, then, and indeed in Luke's Gospel. The story is fulfilled in Jesus and in his death and resurrection. That God goes to the bottom, to the cross, in fulfilment of the story of Israel. That is our high God, but it is also our humble God. He's not only mindful of the lowly, but stoops down, becomes lowly in order to lift us up. Our God, our high God, humbles himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, to take those in have need and to lift them up. God lifts them up with his resurrection, where hope comes alive, and the lowly are lifted up and the hungry are filled. According to the promises made to our ancestors, as Mary says, remembering to be merciful to Abraham's descendants. Well, how can we find ourselves experiencing the same joy as Mary? Well, we find ourselves in God, our high God, our humble God. We find ourselves at the bottom, knowing that God lifts up the lowly. And we find ourselves grafted in to God's story and not some other story. We do not have Jesus in our wombs, but we do, by faith, have Jesus in our hearts. And that is a reason for us to rejoice in his saving work for us. And in a moment, we're going to go to the Lord's table, the meal that Jesus left us. As we partake in the meal he left us by faith, celebrating our high God who looks upon the lowly to lift them up in the person of his son. Let's pray in response and then we will stand 
and sing. Father, we praise you that you are indeed our high God. You are transcendent, most wise, most loving, most powerful, and most humble. We thank you that you look upon the lowly and the broken with compassion and those who fear you in order to lift them up. And we thank you that particularly in this season as we celebrate the coming of Christ, we see how you humbled yourself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, that you might with your Son, rise us to new life by the Spirit. We praise you for your loving kindness and goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.